right, hello and welcome to Totem Talks Season 2, Episode 12. That's right. Yep, yeah, and you didn't even are. have to tell me right nope. before we started recording. I, I considered it, but then I said, you know what, it's time for you, you to sink or swim. Me. You yeah. trusted me. Yeah, and I'm excited because this was the episode you guys said that you were going to let me uh, write the theme tune and sing the theme tune. Yeah, yeah. we have been promising that for quite some time. Yeah. Totem Talks, we're talking about the music. Talking lots of talk. Perfect. Beautifully done. Okay. That was absolutely wonderful. I'm so glad we did that. Yeah. There's, uh, a, there's a verse two. Uh, you know that's going to be the outro. It. Yeah, that's oh, the outro. Oh, okay. Yeah. Good. You hold on to that. <laughs> oh, you fun. just promised him an outro now. I'm ho- I hope you're ready for that. He'll forget by the time we get there. <laughs> All right, so uh, yeah, welcome to Totem Talks, or welcome back to Totem Talks. Hopefully you guys are all uh, enjoying it and uh, know what this is all about. If this is your first time, I'll give you the lowdown real quick. We're uh, a music podcast. We're taking every musical act we could possibly think of, and maybe even some we can't even think of. Several that we couldn't think of. Yeah, Yeah. that's true. Comparing, contrasting. hate. Deep diving. Can I just say out there, if this is your first time listening to the podcast, bold for you to start in the middle <laughs> to of start season in the middle two. Of season two, it is. Yeah. Hey, you I know agree. what? It's fine. Yeah. If years in the future, I mean, you don't necessarily need the context. Like context will help no, at yeah. times. Yeah, but Nick, but you don't need it. To we had understand. a whole story arc through season one. That's true. That, that's well, true. That's true. And it really built Pat up into a three-dimensional character by the time we hit season two. That's true. So they honestly have no idea who I am. Yeah, great point. Which, I mean, who does? Or who you were. And who is the father of that baby? That's a great point. <laughs> More to that's come in the point. season two finale. Bit of a <laughs> bit of a preem two spoiler for you guys there. Okay. Uh, all right. right. So the three bands that we're covering today, we normally cover three bands. We do. Uh, they are, well, not really bands. Well, artists. Artists. That's a better word. Uh, because we're doing Don McLean, yeah. right. the Electric Light Orchestra, and four non-blondes. Yeah, so not yeah. bands. More, Another more nice of... eclectic group here. Yeah, not bands. A very more eclectic rubber. group. More like rubber yeah. bands. Okay. Yeah, rubber bands. Sure, you whatever, know, whatever like it takes. Um, should we yeah. start? Absolutely, we should. All right, so Don McLean. Wasn't he that New York City police officer who uh, went to go visit his wife uh, across the coast? Should, should we stop him now? And I saved um, very, all very. Those, all You're those thinking of Nakatoma John Plaza? McLean, who is also not John McCain. Rest in peace. So many different people that could it could be. Mm. Uh, but this is Don McLean the third. Fun yes, fact. Yes, right. Yeah, so um, if you thought we were going to do the famous singer-songwriter Don McLean's grandfather, you are sorely we, mistaken. That exactly. is not this episode. We are only doing Don McLean the third. That That is a deep dive for season 35. Yep, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Just, like, see if there are any recordings <laughs> on, like, an old phonograph <laughs> record of his grandfather. Are you kidding? But he was born in 45. His grandfather would be, like, maybe a <laughs> wax cylinder. Uh, yeah, right. Well, maybe that, we'll that get very lucky. That would be incredible. That. That probably wouldn't have any copyrights. We'd be able to play that on the episode. Oh, yeah, great, it definitely great would, be, point. would be public domain by that point. <laughs> all right, all right. Tell us about Don right. McLean. Uh, so Don McLean is an American singer-songwriter. Um, obviously, he's best known for, for his big hit song, which is American Pie. Right. Uh, so if you're like, I know that name, but I got no clue. Yeah, the song's American Pie. Didn't uh, he... Did not write the films. Uh, he did not write the films, no. Great point. Films uh, unrelated was, to songs. He was consulted on the films. 
Well, at least the first uh, no, one. No, he wasn't. I just wanted to <laughs> Oh, wow. I was like, wow, that's amazing. I've I never heard Nick's that before. I to, to light up with that fact. Uh, no, but we're doing Don McLean. And yes, for those of you who are curious, he did have more than just the one song. He had plenty yeah, of albums. I think a lot of people know uh, Vincent, Starry, Starry Night. I knew that I song. I think a lot in. of people may have heard it and would have no idea. Sure. But either way, we did Tapestry. Which, Not the Carol King tapestry. No, in tapestry case anyone thought that we were... by Don McLean, which came out in 1970. Uh, then we did American Pie, which came out in 1971. Right. Then we took a little bit of a break from Don McLean, or I guess he took a little bit of a break from us, and we meet back up with him last year, 2020. Right, where he is still playing favorites. Correct, which is the name of his third album. That's all I got. Okay, that's the whole. That's well. It. Do you want me to talk about tapestry first, then? Why don't you, Nick? I would love to. So uh, it's just funny that that was that he decided to name this album Tapestry. I think it came out the year before Carol King's Tapestry, and then it was yeah. re-released again in 1971. And I was wondering, it's like, hmm, maybe he thinks by re-releasing it this year that since Carol King's Tapestry blew up and became a huge record, that people will be like, oh, that's also Tapestry. I should get that as well maybe. and buy it. Maybe uh, it and worked. And if you made that mistake, you made an Excellent mistake. I would agree. Because this is a fantastic record. Uh, this is pretty much all folk. So, I mean, you can get that general notion from American Pie, but I could also see that if you heard that song, you weren't necessarily sure what direction the rest of his discography would go. Yeah. But this is a very, very, like, roots folk album uh, for the most part. And it's really, like, Phil Oaks-esque in nature. Uh, in yeah. that he is writing about a lot of serious uh, social issues, and he's doing it very well. He's probably one of the better writers we've had on this first record, especially. Uh, I was very impressed. Like as I was going through, I was like, "Wow!" I mean, this really reminds me of Oaks. Yeah this this album does not sound like a first album. Yeah, no, I, I hear that. It's like very not not to say that like it's a rule that first album that artists put out are usually bad. They're they're usually no, never often not, bad, but... but it's never like the sound that they're known for. Oftentimes they haven't yeah. just reached yeah, their this, creative This peak this one yet, definitely you know? definitely sounds just as well rehearsed, as well put together and as well thought out as any of the other albums that came out. It definitely yeah. has yeah. Oh, that totally. sound. And he does have some like differentiation through. It's not just like straight folk songs and only an acoustic guitar all the way through. There are definitely some tracks. Uh, Bad Girl would be one that like really demonstrates demonstrates like range and differentiation and style, uh, which I was really looking for in the second half of the record too. I was like, okay, Don, you showed me that you can do folk songs with the best of them. What else can you do? Do you have more range here on this record? And then he sure. he showed it to me, which was which was awesome. Um, you know, and there are some fun and silly songs mixed in on that second side too but it was overall like a very serious and well-written record yeah uh, the title track i believe actually was the inspiration for the greenpeace environmental movement as well yes so that's a pretty cool thing to have influenced it is. and then i'll let you guys talk about the record a little bit more sure uh do you want to go tyler i mean i pretty much already said my piece kind of on there the thing that kind of surprised me the most about this was was like i kind of said earlier it, it doesn't sound like a first album yes yeah. you know if you, you you said to me this is more songs by the guy who wrote american pie i'd be like it absolutely is and while none of these really stuck out to me as as necessarily as 
memorable and as toe-tapping as American Pie might might be to you. Um, they're definitely, if that's a song that you like, you you wouldn't hate listening to these. Um, they they rank right up there with that with, with that song for me. Yeah, I think if you enjoy folk at all, you'll really like yeah. this record. Um, I I guess that that would be the the only negative I would give it is it it is a very folk album. If you're not into that. This is not for you. Like it's it's sure. not. Yeah. There there are some folk artists out there that sort of bridge the gap between folk and rock a little bit better than he does. He pretty much kind of stays in that very like narrative driven folk for all of the albums that he does, which is something I personally love. I you know I love a good you know have fun kind of song, but I really enjoy songs that tell a, a full story from beginning to end and that's definitely something that i think he does better than most artists yeah definitely a strength here because uh, they like there there are stories happening in these songs absolutely and it's not like uh, I, a lot of people especially from the 70s that were doing stuff like this were a little bit more ambiguous with 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 their things and a little right. bit more like oh this is just supposed to be representative of this that and the other i mean I'm sure there are probably greater themes you can pick apart from these songs if you really dig into the lyrics, but you can also enjoy the narrative that's being driven yeah. like just straight and like so what you're getting at face value is really great and entertaining and if you decide to kind of peel back the layers and see what each thing represents you're getting something good too it's not one of those like really obscure things where you would have had to grow up through his 70s to really understand the zeitgeist of what was going on in there sure. to really get the themes of his songs like these this this is something that you can enjoy today just as just as well and you can understand it just as deeply as you would have understood it as you would have understood it when it came out. Right. I mean, I agree with all that stuff. Before I get too far into the album itself, I have a couple Don McLean facts that I, I love to, those that I want to throw out. So one, Don McLean has over fifty pairs of custom made boots and his only pants that he wears are Levi five oh one button fly jeans. Fascinating. Just that's just a fun fact. Uh, are, very... I'm sorry. Can I just get some clarification on that? He yeah. only has a single pair of pants. I think he wears many pairs <laughs> I of would, that. Style I would hope of pants. he's. Wearing, yeah, I was a little concerned <laughs> yeah, with that at was... first too. But then I was like, no, he's got to have several pairs. I of think pants, he has right? several <laughs> pairs of those pants. That is, that is, that is being environmentally conscious to yeah. almost. Almost a detriment to yourself, yeah. then, if you only own the one pair. But two interesting things, which may or may not affect any scores later. Don McLean was the first American artist to perform at the Sydney Opera House. That's fascinating. That's yeah. a great find. Yeah. yeah, and he also is the first artist to have two number one singles in two different centuries. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And it's yeah, that's things you wouldn't think from no. from little Don McLean. Well, oh, I don't know. Certainly not. I, well, I'm a, uh, what were those centuries? <laughs> yeah, I would assume I mean, I, the 20th and the 21st. I would have oh, also okay. gone All with right. those. Yeah, I'm gonna guess. Yeah. Uh, but just those were some fun facts about Don McLean. Getting into the album itself, I really agree. I'm not gonna go too far because I agree. I thought this was a very, very solid folk album. Probably top two or three that we heard so far in the podcast in terms of folk music. Sure, yeah. Like I said, right up there with Oaks. Right I up mean, there definitely. with Oaks. It, you know, you can place this album in between Oaks' albums before or after, however you want. But 
I almost enjoyed aspects of it more. Um, I think that you sacrifice a bit of the songwriting for to Phil Oaks. I mean, Phil Oaks is a masterstroke of writing. Uh, yeah, you lose, but a, he's not a as talented tiny as a singer. Bit. Yes, and that's what I was gonna say. Not only the singing, but the actual ornamentation and instrumentation of the songs. I think you gain more of that, even though you lose a tiny bit off the top of the songwriting. Sure. Yeah, and I, and and I think a lot of what Phil Oaks was doing is is very kind of um, you, you really need to know your history. To, yeah, he was to, very yeah, very fully, topical. Yeah, sure. To yeah. fully comprehend, what especially was going listening on. to it, you know, yeah. many many decades later. Mm-hmm. Which I I mean, it's sad that some of it holds up though. Yeah. Very true. Everyone out there should know about history but they well sure but sadly not many people do which kind of would hurt him if you were trying to get modern listeners to to try to listen to him whereas with dom mclean i feel like uh, people nowadays young or old could listen to him with like the same level of enjoyment if you're into that you know style Um, of music well just to throw a couple quick songs out there um the song and i love you so yeah. Was a really, really emotional piece. And covered many and times. And covered many times. Most famously by Elvis. And Perry Como. Perry Como did a huge trip, but the reason it's more famous for Elvis, I would say, it was the last song he ever recorded or oh, released. Oh, wow. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, the last song he ever recorded and released on his album, Elvis in Concert. That's wild. I uh, mean, because yeah. he's still alive and in hiding somewhere, so I can't That's believe it's incredible. That, that he hasn't recorded since. Uh, but honestly, I loved all of Side A. I have nothing bad to say. I thought there were moments that were really beautiful and emotional, and I highly recommend this album. Uh, the one from Side B that stuck out to me, though, besides And I Love You So, I absolutely loved the song Three Flights Up. Yeah, absolutely. And I loved it for a very specific reason. He told three stories. He didn't change that much lyrically. He told the stories, and they were very, very straightforward. But each, each the you know section of the story had a very slight difference in the music, to where you could hear that you were on a different floor as you were listening. Yeah, to sure. It. Mm-hmm. And I love stuff like that. I love oh, yeah, when you use the instrumentation. I mean, that's great songwriting. It. It's it's great songwriting. Yeah. So I just wanted to throw that out there um, because. I really appreciated it. I would I would recommend that album to anybody. Totally. What about the next one? Yeah, so we're going into American Pie, and it starts off with American Pie. This is the song. It's the biggest song that he's come up with. It's one of the biggest songs ever. Ever, yeah. And then, of course, the Six Degrees of Totem Talks being... Yeah. This is the song in which the, the day the music the day died the music got died. its name. Yeah. So Don oh. McLean gave us that title to use oh, as, oh, I thought, as a people. I, I thought our six degrees of totem talks would be that it was covered by the kids of the Brady Bunch. Oh, which it's we have not very, done. very close. Oh, we've not done the Brady Bunch yet. No, we will now, one day. Now would you would you say that um, which one do you think stood the test of time better? Do you think Don, Mc- Don McLean's version or the version that the Brady Bunch kids did? There's no winning by even engaging in this conversation with you. So I'm just going to have Pat move on and talk about the I, rest of I the will, album. I, I will say this about the Brady Bunch kids version. I've they, never heard it, but though, no, so it could be great. They, and I just don't know. They, they made it more fun. Ah. Interesting. <laughs> um, but... Uh, this album is just a knockout. Totally, it, it's it's just it, front to back. It's incredibly, incredibly topical at times. It has different emotions. It's still more of that folky sound, but 
really, really good. Uh, nothing to complain about on that. This is this is the one where where his two most notable hits come right. from. Yes, yes, which so, is American yeah. Pie and then Vincent. Yeah, uh, and both are phenomenal. Vincent is really interesting to me because it's actually about Vincent Van Gogh. Right. Or Van Gogh. Yeah. yeah. No, right. Hence mm-hmm. the Starry Starry Night being a reference yes. to Starry Night, the incredibly famous yeah, Van Gogh. It's, it's about him realizing that like maybe there was more to that than he just went crazy. Like mm-hmm. Yeah, which really... is which is really, really interesting. The thing that I like the most about that song is it's probably I definitely couldn't say it's the first time, but it's one of the first times where mental illness is kind of looked at as something that should have been looked into a little bit further. I think there was uh, there was definitely a kind of taboo about people who weren't necessarily uh, quote unquote normal throughout the the decades and years and a lot of the solutions to that were to kind of hide them away and keep them away and there was this tabooness about them whereas recently we are trying to find not only the the source and cause but how to address and treat it a little bit better whether that yeah. comes from talking things out and and whatnot there are so many examples of people throughout history who were kind of thrown away and disregarded and just kind of given that title of crazy person and then when many you, of them incredibly famous artists yeah, as well yeah and then when you actually sit down and look at things that happened in their life and the way they were handling things, it looks as though that they were they were people who actually should have been given a little bit more attention and and care and help. For, yeah. yeah, I completely get where you're yeah, coming sure. from. I agree totally. wholeheartedly. And, and that yeah. and and that whole kind of taboo against people with mental illness kind of lasted well into the 20th century. Oh, 100%. Oh, yeah. yeah. And even into the 21st. Very, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's, I it's still it, today. And, and it, it's, yeah. it's really interesting to hear something from 71 that's, Talk about it like that's that. kind of going back to it and talking about it not as uh, not as like a negative necessarily as a isn't it a shame that instead of helping this individual everyone just kind of let him go yeah. nuts. Yeah, for the record that's just because you got me thinking about it uh my very quick google search tells me 1971 would have been four years after the last lobotomy was performed in the united states so so yeah. i mean if that doesn't tell you about mm-hmm. the way that culture <sighs> yeah viewed, uh, it's uh, mental illness moving past that right um just so we don't talk about it the whole time because i could and i know you could yeah. too uh i think my proudest moment for him as an artist is on the song everybody loves me baby I literally just was like, Phil Oaks would be so proud. Yeah, right. Just, mm-hmm. just the absolute, it, that that song is exactly what Phil Oaks' entire career was. It's upbeat, it's lively, it's a song you can dance to, and if you listen to the lyrics, it is just the most tongue-in-cheek, like sardonic, dry humor. Oh my gosh. I absolutely loved it. What a yeah, slap Yeah, and it shows musical range, too, yeah. for the record. And it does show a lot of musical range. And I love this. One thing we didn't really talk about, it happened in the first album too, but I guess more in the second album. Very slight like jazziness to him. Sure, yeah. Like nothing crazy. He's not going too nuts, but not just the standard chords that you'd expect from a typical folk singer. Sure, you throw in a couple seventh chord and Yeah, a couple seventh, jazz. maybe some suspended, like some some interesting little mixings in there. Sure. Um, that's all I really had to say. Um, obviously, the big hit is big and it is big for a reason. It's a great song. Yeah. And just those other two songs also stuck out to me. Right. I think we're 
almost done with this record. I will just highlight also The Grave, which was oh, another a fantastic anti-war song. Famously covered which, by George Michael. Exactly. It was famously covered by George Michael to protest, protest the Iraq War in 2003. And I can't believe I forgot to say this. The song Babylon mm-hmm. is actually the like theme song for the German Green Party. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. Uh, I will. Last thing I will mention before moving on to the, the newest album would be that a lot of the cohesiveness of this album yeah. was actually inspired by Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. So when McLean heard okay. that. And that's definitely not the first time we've said that on the podcast. I feel like there are so many bands that after that record came out, they're like, wow, a cohesive concept that runs through a record like that. I want to incorporate that into my work somehow. Uh, so just goes to show, you know, how influential one record can be. Do we... Sure. I mean, I mean you we'll get ready about to do it again. Uh, so on our way to this uh, newest album, still playing favorites, I'm going to take a quick pit stop in the year 2004. Okay, sure. Uh, when Don McLean was inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame. Yes, and, I was going to talk about uh, that. In his class of 2004 yeah. were also Daryl Hall and John Oates. Oh, my gosh. Yes, They're they from were inducted uh, the Simon same and Garfunkel, right? That's exactly right. We didn't cover them yet. Oh, uh, then my mistake. <laughs> I'm kidding, of course. They're but... from Daryl and John. Oh, there it is. Yeah. Perfect. Um, now, listen, we've we've talked really, really, really highly about Don McLean, and I yes. stand by all of it. Totally. Don't listen to this last album. Yeah, okay. So if still, you, look, if I want to like be clear, him. this is not painful. This is not, it's not bad. It's not. Only, it's not it's only like, bad in comparison right. to what was before. It's it. not unpleasant no. even really to hear and we actually almost listened to his 2018 album, Botanical Gardens, because... I actually listened this, to a couple of yeah, the songs. Yeah, I did too. So a couple of the... Uh, like, this album came out after we had already, like, put together yeah. our our lists for the seasons and stuff. So we had to go back and, and change. Uh, it's still playing favorites. Botanical Gardens, I mean, in two years, I only listened to a couple of songs, but I heard, a, like more vocal degradation between 2018 and 2020 than yes. I did between 2071 uh, and 2018. Yeah. I mean... And I actually really liked... I think if he had, if Botanical Gardens was the last album we did, I think yeah. things would have been very different than they're going to be. Well, because it was interesting I, to me. I also took issue, and I mean, and this is something I take issue with, like artists in general. I it's really frustrating for me when they put out like an album that they call like the greatest hits, and it's and you're like, yeah, n- no, four of these. But there are 20 tracks on this album, and none of these charted. This one, yeah. he chose to call Still Playing Favorites. Well, they're all traditional pieces. So every single song on but, this record was like a tra- old traditional or country or blues like piece. old school cover. Like we're talking like from the 1920s, some of them. Uh, they go way back. But I think I think my my... My issue with the title of this album would have been resolved if he just added the word "my." Still sure, playing yeah, my favorites. My yeah, favorites. I get it. Yeah, because yeah. when when you think of like an artist's an artist who's popular and has been around since the seventies, and they put out an album in twenty twenty, and they call it "Still Playing My Favorites," you're either thinking it's a compilation album or it's going to be re-records of original stuff that he's most known for, and then you put this album on, you're like. 
Yeah. Whose favorites are these? I know. These They're are not, not well-known songs. These are not the ones that I yeah. know you for. I mean, it's very, yeah. it's just, I don't know. It it seems, it seems almost like the music equivalent of catfishing. You're just like, this, is, this is a collection of everything you know me for and love yeah. me the most for. Sure. I, get, I think even if you knew it was going to be a covers album, like going in maybe hoping that there would be some things that were less. Especially, I mean, I mean some of the people he covered. Arcane. That's the problem, though. It's like looking at the people he covered, that's what kind of annoys me. Sure. Because, like, still playing favorites, sure. And it's all, like, older songs, old covers of, like, standard singers. I get it. But you have Johnny Cash covers. You have Ray Charles covers, Elvis Presley covers, Bob Dylan covers. And these are the songs you picked. Yeah. Like, the song selection bugs me. Like, what Tyler's saying. Like, it bugs me because, like, him doing like uh, like some ver- like Don McLean doing a version of like the Man in Black or I Walk the Line or like something like that like would have been incredible. I mean, he's still mm-hmm. got. I mean, he has vocal degradation here. It's not bad, but it's, it's definitely not. He's not, not he's bad. Not bad. I mean, we've listened to no. worse this season. Definitely. So. Yeah, but like, would you have would you have been as bothered if the album was called Still Playing My Favorites, My or My Personal Favorites, <laughs> and the description <laughs> These was... These are the songs that and, Don McLean yeah, still really and, likes to play, everyone. Yeah. And the description was, Don McLean picks his very best and very favorite songs by these artists. You might have yeah. still been annoyed, but at least you wouldn't have been like, well, you picked all these well-known artists, so you're obviously going to do the ones that they're most known. Instead of the... You're like, oh, it's so disappointing. I thought you were going to do an Elvis cover, and you chose to do an Elvis cover of, of that Elvis. Yeah, okay. It, some song that no one had <laughs> it ever was, heard. It was That's fine. up and down. I mean, yeah. I, the the good things that I'll say, I don't want to get too, too far. I mean, no, we're I already kind of we over time in McLean. Um, he's still got a voice. It's not completely gone. He is, you know, he's still doing it. Um, it's definitely, we went from topical, emotional folk with instrumentation behind it to, like, pretty standard, typical acoustic guitar country music. Yep. So we've definitely lost a little bit of the of the emotion of the songs. Totally. Not that you can't get emotional with country, but these ones don't. Yeah, no. Like, you, right. they're just not meant to do that. Yeah, not, these, these, these are all just country songs that play it safe. They're not Yeah, they're really not trying. finely crafted pieces of art that he, you know... And, and yeah. they're also not trying to tackle anything that that difficult. No. Yeah, the one shout and out. And that's fine. I you will... know, the guy had a ton of albums. Yeah. I'm sure, like, yeah. so many albums that where he was doing that. So I'm not going to sit here and rip him the all day for one cover album here. The one shout out that I really will give him, uh, and, and, and this is a legitimate one. Very rarely do you get to see both Cash brothers on the same album. Yeah. And he covered Johnny Cash on the first track, um, So Doggone Lonesome. Uh, But he also covered Tommy Cash, the very, very less famous younger brother of Johnny Cash. less famous. uh, On the song Six White Horses. Yeah. So both Cash brothers involved. Let's grade him then. I am well before we grade him. Oh, I just okay. I would like to say I'm a big fan of the album cover. I would seriously <laughs> encourage everyone to oh, look up to look up this album cover. It's, it's just I've, the worst Photoshop. I will, I will, yeah, I will describe it to you very briefly. Um, it is a photo of of a very recent photo of Don McLean. He's apparently either a giant or he <laughs> found a pixie woman. Um, <laughs> Because she is just a little bit bigger than your standard size Barbie doll, and she's giving him a kiss on the cheek. Yeah, it's yep. pretty bad. <laughs> yep, it's it's pretty yeah, it's, bad. It's, it's really like bad. somebody came up with that in Microsoft Paint in twenty minutes. Yep. Okay. Uh, so let's grade. Now him. let's grade him. So okay. obviously, we know American Pie is the big thing yeah, here, so which is huge. Cultural impact. Typically, what we do, we, I mean, we 
give one hit wonders a point. I would argue. I mean, we're definitely going to argue above that for for Don McLean. One hundred percent. Okay, good. And I also, like I said, I also think Vincent is Vincent a little bit of points. As well, and yeah. he was covered plenty of times. I gave you those other little facts. Yeah, I'm gonna be honest with you. I mean, sales thresholds didn't exactly hit. I know he. I know at least American Pie went uh, gold. Sure. <sighs> I mean, I I might be like not above average. I don't think. It's oh god no no but but I wasn't going into the, like the fives no I'm god saying no. not above average but like in the fours maybe really okay it's I wasn't maybe. thinking that I was I was definitely like w- he definitely deserves more than the one point but I yeah. was thinking like maybe like in the two to three range okay I mean I might want to average that out a little bit strictly I, I because like I I I wouldn't get much closer to no five. and I'm not I, no, going not. and and I definitely think he's an artist who's who's definitely kind of fallen off oh yeah in yeah that's for years. sure except for the one song i i think i think i know i don't usually weigh in on on this but just kind of use this and kind of balance your score out from here i would not go higher than a three yeah. okay oh i i i wouldn't really want to go higher than a three either honestly so i understand um Maybe we just cap it at a three then, because okay. honestly, for me, that's fine. Him being the first to play the Sydney Opera House, him having sure. no, I get that. The that's, first, that's like, that's he has a lot stuff. of accomplishments that totally would raise his cultural impact. I mean, those I are agree. huge cultural milestones. Yes, I, I, that's and why he's way more than the a one Hall to me. of Fame. Yeah. Sure, stuff like that. I get that. Oh yeah, he's um, definitely more than a one-hit wonder, despite yeah. most people nowadays only one song. seeing sure. him as yes. a one-hit wonder. I think we all agree. Yeah. Yeah. All um, right. Um, let's move so on. his so he has twenty two albums. Twenty two right. albums. Uh, none of them have been on the charts anywhere since nineteen eighty one. That is correct. Uh, none of them really charted all that high, except for American Pie. Uh, Don McLean, which was the follow up, did decently. Yeah. Uh, but then after that, he fell off the U S. charts completely uh, on his next one. So I mean, I still think we're you know decently above average for 22 records yeah. of what we decided was very quality original music his his um, his genre yeah. his his genre of music is kind of hard with with our grading system cuz i i think you know yeah, with the exception it's, of Bob Dylan, folk doesn't really get a lot of traction. It doesn't, yeah, it's, it's true. It really doesn't. Yeah, like, it, there's even, a niche market. Even country is a little difficult to grade because country doesn't usually make its way out of what people would think of as the South. It usually kind of stays in the United States. Good, good oh, in country. the United States. Okay. Yeah. Good country can can escape. It yeah, can. definitely. Unfortunately, it a lot of bad right, so, country yeah, does but, escape yeah, as but, well. But I'm I'm very much above because 22 oh, yeah. records of quality music. He's just yeah. not going to get here's, any additional here's points. Here's my issue, though. For... I have a couple issues. Yeah, go ahead. More than one of these, I, at least are three. Covers. Uh, yeah, at least three that I yes. can see quickly are full covers. I think four. Right, which is why I'm probably in the six range. I can do a six. Okay. Yeah, I want. I would like to do more, but the lack of chart success. I understand. You know, those first two out. Al- if it was just those first two albums and like that level of quality, he'd be like probably almost a ten for me. I get that. I like. I really enjoyed the yeah, first. Yes, I mean they're fantastic. 
So like, just if you're listening and you're you're hearing the the mediocre scores coming out, like yeah, but no, please I mean, go his, listen to Tapestry and his American early Pie. original music is is fantastic. Yeah, uh, instrumental talent. I know we want to be a little bit above average on this too. I, I I'm even a little more than a little bit above average. Really? Okay. Seriously, because like I thought that a lot of the stuff that happened in that was really well done. I thought that he yeah, incorporated think... instruments really well. Right, and to me. That's and why he was a, a really much better songwriter. Songwriter yeah, is really going to be good, a lot higher. I think that's going to be a lot. See, because while I appreciated the craftsmanship on all the songs, I felt like most of the parts that were played were just like very solid, average yeah. parts crafted together in, to make excellent songs. They, you I, know, just, I understand where you're coming from. I mean, I'm above average because he's a very good singer. He's a very talented yeah. singer. But I think most of the musical parts were pretty like average, solid parts crafted sure. well. Sure. Um, I mean, I would probably if we didn't give him a bump for singing, I was going to be like in like a five two range. Okay, but I probably would like to give him like a five six. I think. Oh yeah, I'm totally fine. Yeah, with Yeah, because he has like a really good like range, especially yeah, that, in the 70s. I'm very he has cool a really with that. good range to his voice. Yeah, I'm I'm in. And then songwriting, we're going to be above that as well. I mean, it's going to be the highest. It's got to be. Well, that or poetic. I mean, I think they're both very they're both good. Very with... good. Uh, for songwriting, I, I mean, just listening to the intricacies of what he did, I I probably am at least in the eights. I'm okay with an eight. Yeah, like maybe like an eight two, low eights. I mean, there's there were moments, okay. you know, not having it all be him takes a little bit away from me. But I really liked the build quality. I'll of meet those. you at an eight one. I can do an eight. Just one. because, just be, there were times of range, but I mean, like a lot of these artists who get up here are like mastering like five, six, yeah. seven different genres throughout their records. So I just want to like keep that in mind as well. Yeah, definitely. I understand um, completely. But poetic, I, I'd be okay, you know, going right up here in the eights again. Yeah, definitely. And, and I'm Strong. up there. Same. And again, could have been higher if there weren't several different cover albums and yeah. stuff where he. Didn't, I mean, here's what I'm trying in. not to do. We've compared him to Phil Oaks a bunch yes. of times. I'm really trying to not heavily penalize him for the covers and the kind of decline later totally. on because comparing him to Phil Oaks obviously he has a we lot didn't more music. get yeah. that with Phil Oaks. Right. Right. And I you know I don't want to like I don't want it to be like well you should have done what you know what I mean sure, I'm not no, totally. so like I'm really trying to kind of even that out like we're subtracting some points for it so yeah we're remembering the good times totally here. which is why I'm probably on the higher side of the eights. I, I was agree. Th- my gut was saying 8.8. 8. I don't know where you guys are on uh, that. I, I 8.8 works for me. Okay, cool. Yeah, I mean, he was very high up there. I think yeah, the emotions yeah. of those songs was important. Uh, is there an X factor, or have we kind of discussed I think the things and then put I would, them more we, as cultural impact? I would maybe yeah. like to give him at least a point one for actually naming The Day the Music Died. I'm all right with it. Point yeah, one is like, fine. I mean, that's something huge. All right, cool. Let's do that, and let's move on to ELO. All right. All right, the Electric Light Orchestra, or ELO. Or Jeff Lindsay ELO. Yeah, are an American, I'm kidding, they're English. Yeah, they are very English. They're an English rock band. Uh, They were formed in Birmingham. Not Alabama. But, but. Not American. That's two things now. One, I said American instead of British, and then two, Birmingham. Yeah, I know. Clearly, there's something they're not telling us. That's got to be it. But they formed in 1970 by a fr- Jeff Lynn and Roy Wood and then Bev Bevan. Love that name. That's not a real name. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's a great name. <laughs> Added to our collection, Bev Bevan. Good old Bev Bevan. Oh, man. Um, but anyway, we did three albums of theirs. We did. Uh, and we should tell people that they have been active on and off from 1970 till today. That is correct. There's been breaks. There's been hiccups. There's been some Absolutely. weird stuff. Some changes in, in lineups. 
which yeah. we will definitely see. Uh, but we went over three of their albums. The first album is technically an eponymous album, right. the Electric Light Orchestra. However, yeah. Uh, so if you're an American looking for this album to listen along with us, you would like to look for the album called No Answer. And the reason it's called No Answer in the United States hilarious. Uh, was a problem understanding a telephone message. So a uh, United Artists executive was asking, called asking about the album name so that they could get production ready, I guess. Uh, but the caller didn't get in contact with the yellow. And so in his notes, he wrote down no answer because he didn't get an answer from his phone call. And then the other executives, I guess, just thought that that was, must have been the name for and the album. Went with and it. then just went with it. And then it was called no answer yeah. after that. So fascinating. Uh, so hilarious and amazing. Uh, we follow that up with... Discovery, which is their highest selling album. Yes. They turned that into a cable station, didn't they? They did. They did. They did. Yeah. It was incredible, actually, how they managed to do that. And then we ended ELO with From Out of Nowhere. Right. So the, which those are me the by three. surprise. Ah. Ha, I get it. Uh, I'll go first Please. this time. So I have obviously heard a few songs from ELO, uh, which we didn't listen to. Today. Yeah, tons of, well, for the record, Pat was like, I've never heard an ELO song before. I'm like, that's, that's not impossible. True. They're I very knew... famous. So I sent him a big list of their hits, and he was like, oh, okay. I know all I mean, these songs. He's, he's watched Guardians of the Galaxy Volume you 2, so are... he's heard at least one. I'm sorry, Pat, yes, he has heard Mr. Blue Sky before. He's like, but I really don't know other ELO songs. I'm like, yes, yeah. you do. Just listen to them. Here's a list. And I that's how it works. I think you are being very harsh, good sir. I'm, I'm oversimplifying for the sake of time, but they now did, that's backfired exactly. completely. I'll spend uh, the next 20 they did minutes. The, uh, didn't they do the soundtrack for the Magical Mystery Tour? No, they did the soundtrack for the movie Xanadu. Which I that's had never heard thing. of, but it was yeah. also very high selling. Well, technically their highest selling album, but Nick was like, but Olivia Newton-John was on that. Is so it their it's highest the selling album? Because it, it had similar close. thresholds in the United States. It's very um, close but to it Discovery. Was, but it, Discovery sold higher in the UK and Canada. Those aren't real places. Those are real places. They're not real. Um, well, one of those is a real place. The other one is just America. They just won't admit it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, silly. Well, I silly mean, UK. it definitely sold more total numbers because of this, because those are higher thresholds than the other ones. I anyway, guess, it doesn't matter. I guess overseas just didn't appreciate Xanadu. Yeah. Crazy. But- I didn't realize going into this podcast, I was going to find out that Pat was such a huge fan of Xanadu, <laughs> which I had never heard of until we did this podcast. So I, I mean, the movie is actually terrible, but the soundtrack's not bad. More ELO praise. Sure. Um, uh, the lady doth protest too much. No, I seriously, it's bad. You love the movie. No, Xanadu. like, All right. like, don't. Right. We're, watch we're getting the movie too far Xanadu. off track. Tell us about No Answer. Oh, right, right. So No Answer or Electric Light Orchestra, eponymous. Uh, it was good. It was it was solid. Yeah. I mean, there was definitely some potential here, uh, both in songwriting and in lyrics. Um, it had its moments. I think my biggest issue with the album is... Can I guess? Uh, yeah, what's your guess? Uh, Roy Wood's vocals. That's a big one. Okay, it that, wasn't your biggest. Okay, that's a big one. it wasn't my biggest. The biggest one for me was actually the fact that it really felt like a bunch of people who had maybe heard classical music but had no idea how to write it mm. writing classical music sure so they get stuff, a lot better yeah they do uh, on and that's what i said on this it shows a lot of potential so for those of you who maybe if you have no idea who elo is their big um their big like selling point and their big thing that they were trying to do was incorporate like classic orchestral sounds into rock music yeah the the term would be baroque and roll 
is sure. what people use yeah. for that. Yeah, and that's a great term for it. Um, so that that's what they're doing here. And like I said, on this first album, it's maybe more hits than misses, but there were some moments where it's like, oh, that classically that doesn't sound good. Sure. But for the most part, I really enjoyed it. I, there was a lot of good stuff. I liked that they took the time and did some instrumental pieces, even though that's where you I heard most of the issues with sure. the classical no, I, yeah, stuff. Yeah, definitely. Um, and it's funny because if we hearken back all the way back to, uh, oh my gosh, I'm blanking on the name now. That other band that did that we didn't like. I don't think there have been any. Oh man, I, I'm forgetting. I'll remember it later. Sure. But. Um, Either way, we did another band that had a lot of classical influence in one of their albums. And oh, you mean Muse? Muse, yeah. I was thinking The Cure, and I was like, but it's not The really Cure. But we really loved all those songs on that but record. But that's what I'm saying. So the difference is, it sounded like he knew how to write classical music. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And it sounds like they just kind of wanted to write it, but didn't yeah. know how to write it right. yet. Uh, I, I want to say the biggest thing for me was like the very heavy vocal influence by the Beatles. Totally. Uh, I mean, you can hear so much. It's so like- much. And that happens. That's pervasive. I mean, Jeff Lynne and George Harrison are yeah. very close. Or were, were very close. And um, I think ELO is kind of the that combination of Baroque and roll with yeah. Beatlesque pop. I mean, like that's pretty much yeah. their bread and butter. And and it really is. And but like you really can hear it, uh, especially on the song Mister Radio. Mm-hmm. Incredibly Beatly. It sounded like if you would have told me that was like a B side to a Beatles album, I'd have believed you. Yeah, I get you. Uh, not quite as good as the Beatles, but like I said, a B side it would have fit. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's not that's not a diss. When no, you're I'm not dissing them at all. I just those are my thoughts, and all in all, probably like a solid B for me. Sure. Yeah, I find that what's interesting about this album is it's actually the only ELO album ever that Jeff Lynne himself didn't produce, mm. which, I, I mean, I wonder how much of a difference it would have made had he Maybe. been the one to produce it, because, I mean, he is a bi- brilliant producer, who, yeah. uh, aside from doing the ELO stuff, I mean, obviously worked with a ton of other artists um, and does really great work. He actually was the one who helped Tom Petty come up with the idea for Free Fallen. That's a huge song. So. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but obviously he knew Tom Petty and George Harrison as well as Bob Dylan and Roy Orbison. So he worked with all those guys because they were the traveling Wilburys together, the five of them. Um, but anyway, before we get too far into just Jeff Lynn, uh, who is amazing and I love in case you haven't figured that out, I will say I pretty much agree with everything that Pat had to say. I just don't, Jeff hadn't fully cultivated all of his skills and direction yet, which is right. evident on this album that he was going to get there, but he hadn't quite yet. Um, raw. Yeah, exactly. It's raw. And then uh, I will give you a nice little fact. Uh, when ELO was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2017, they were inducted by Danny Harrison, son of George. Okay. All right. Look at that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I and guess that, that makes sense because they were yeah. friends. Exactly. They're very close. Uh, I think that's all I really have to say. I mean, I think you hit on most of it musically for me. So I just wanted to throw out a few little facts there. Now, Tyler, did you listen to this album? Yes. Okay. Did you like this album? Um, I got a lot of... It, so, this was very much, um, for me, because I, I made the joke earlier yeah. about um, Magical Mystery Tour and uh, Beatles in general. This was just very Beatles-esque to me, but I feel like the Beatles handled it much better. Understandable. Um, I think a lot of this, kind of like what Pat was saying, um, it's, it's experimentation that the end result wasn't all too pleasing for a lot 
of the stuff. It's definitely interesting. I, I, I can't say definitively that I don't like it. Okay. I just feel like it's very niche. Mm. This is something that I would have to really be trying to listen to. Not something, and I'm just talking about this first album. Yeah, right. Um, this isn't something that would go on a a playlist for me. Sure, mixed with a bunch of other stuff. This is something I would have to be very um, specifically looking for. Um, it's funny that they did the uh, the soundtrack to Xanadu because um, this album and some of their other albums to me feel more like specific and unique pieces that go in conjunction with a film or TV show right. and not necessarily something that's supposed to just necessarily be just to. be listened to. And I, mm-hmm. I understand where you're coming from. I feel like that has a lot to do with the instrumentation. Like we're using instruments you don't really hear right. in rock and roll. You're Definitely. listening mm-hmm. to music. You're listening to instruments that are typically used as a soundtrack. So I get yeah, exactly what is, that mental click is. This all I mean and I I no pun intended given their given their name, but this is all stuff that I think without a visual component, be it a, a laser light show right or 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 something of that nature it doesn't concerts were very yeah you want cinematic you want that for the the record yeah like you would definitely get that if you were to see elo like i I remember years and years and years ago my uncle telling me a story of going to see them and how they came up out of the floor in like a giant spaceship and the spaceship opened Mm -hmm. up for the orchestra inside and the lunch like they were very similar similar visually obviously not sound but similar visually to what i i guess modern people who've looked up um and, and i'm gonna pronounce this wrong and i'm sorry uh Reimstein. sure oh yeah their stuff to me is nothing that i would strictly listen to on my own but watching clips of their live concerts sure, yeah. and everything it's incredible the visual stuff that's going on mm-hmm. um if if you were to say go into like an observatory and or or i know that they used to do it on the beaches of new jersey they used to have like huge screens and do incredible laser light shows or spaceships and stuff are going off this would this would be amazing this would be awesome but sure. yeah. just listening to it, okay. it it just doesn't work for sure me. what about the yeah the what did you think of discovery album? Discovery, I felt, I don't know, Discovery hit some of the same notes for me, mm-hmm. um, which, so my only experience with them was um, was Mr. Blue Sky. Insane. Which, Nick, it's more than you think, man. Which to me, which to me was, was really good. I liked that. It's a great song. Um, I think, and I know this probably, this probably is a negative for you, I think... This so this album came out in seventy nine, right? Correct. I knew yes. I knew it was very close to the eighties. This incorporated way more digital stuff, which to sure. me kind of felt like it it gave it a little bit more legs to stand out on its own. It still felt like I was just getting half of what I should be getting. That visual element felt still felt like it was missing, but didn't feel as integral. Okay, sure, I get you. This stuff felt like it it to me. I think I should have seen the visual and audio stuff first and then just the audio would have been a good reflection to recall the visual stuff mm-hmm. but it still felt like it could stand on its own um just being audio totally okay. uh, okay. i you. um i'll go sure i didn't like this album uh it the stuff that i did like about the first album wasn't there sure 
Uh, there was like no strings. It was way. It felt way more like a typical four-piece band, and it was like such a letdown for me from the first album. I mean, which, this, like this, I said, they, was raw but had a lot of promise. They mm-hmm. are kind of the the anti-music band. Ooh. Okay, in, in what? some ways, because they're they're breaking. Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean music. I meant okay. I meant classical. Oh, okay, anti-classical. Yeah, because they really are doing things that if like if you were a classically trained musician, yeah, it's like it. I know that there there aren't like specifically written rules for classic music. There but are, there, but very specific written rules. Yes, but yeah, Bach wrote them all before he died. He wrote them in the journal. Like, We've all followed them ever these, since. These are all things that they're just like, and you shouldn't mix these sounds together. And they're like, mm. oh no, we're gonna mix these sounds together. So I it and it to me it really is kind of just like it it, it really has that science fiction type on this album. Yes. yes. And and I honestly think it doesn't hit for me. So though it just feels weirdly like disco. Well, it's yeah, it's it's a disco it's album. It's a disc, but it's not. It's disco very. It's no seriously. Like so, no, I'm Richard Tandy, the keyboardist at this point was like, yeah, I mean, like it's discovery, but I think of it as disco very because it's just right. such a disco album. But at the same time, like if you compare it to disco albums coming out around this time, they're it's weirdly different, but not necessarily better different. I disagree that it's not better different, but carry on. I I, I mean, I just think that like disco itself is such uh, like such a very specific sound. It's tough to pull parts of disco. Like you can mix you can mix genres all the time and we see it all the time. You mix like some country into some like some pop. You know, mm-hmm. it, you have pop country. You mix rock and roll into country southern rock. Like, sure. It, I get it that all happens. But mixing disco into really anything is almost like an oil and water mix. I understand how you feel that way. Yeah, and a lot of this stuff just doesn't really feel as genuine to me. It feels like they're they're shifting back and forth between heavy disco beats that don't necessarily fit in their songs and then like a super like saccharine sweet pop sound. Mm-hmm. Where like if you listen to the first album, none of that's there. Yeah. None of that's there at all. So then it comes into this and I'm just like, okay, I don't really understand. There was a couple of okay songs. Uh, the Diary of Horace Wimp was like a, it felt like the Beatles and Wings got together yeah. and composed a okay. song together. That makes sense. So actually, it's it's funny to hear you say that because um, listening to this album, but yeah. listening to them in in general, really reminded me of the movie Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, which was a musical that came out. Um, I think it was like four years after the Beatles officially broke up. They came out with uh, the musical Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, and it was um, the Bee Gees. And I'm not going to get into the whole narrative of the story, but essentially, like, the whole movie is made up of these really, I don't want to say weird, but covers of Beatles songs right. that are done in this very electronic 70s style. Gotcha. Uh, like, the song She's Leaving Home, which is, like, a really kind of, like, nice-sounding ballad, is, like, replaced with, um kind, like, this, like, robotic lead vocals. And sure. there's, like, these weird, like, sci-fi elements that get thrown into there because of the plot of the movie that sound almost 
almost identical to what you're hearing on this album yeah. when you listen to I, it. All right, I guess. Let me So so like like that it's it's interesting that you mentioned like that Beatles influence because sure. that is exactly what I hear when I when I listen okay. to this is like <laughs> a continuation it. of that movie. So I want to give a little context here because you guys are both ELO ignorant coming into this. Um but for everybody who was expecting us to talk about this band and cover their big hits, uh, Don't Bring Me Down is on this record, which was huge. However, we are going to talk about ELO without discussing Evil Woman, without discussing Living Thing, Turn to Stone, Fire on High, Strange Magic, Mr. Blue Sky, Do Ya. Like, yeah. tons of their enormous hits were just not on this record, which, like, I'm shocked that we weren't covering Out of the Blue. Um, I thought that was going to be the record that we did. So when you're hearing us talk about, like, no, we know there are tons of great songs that we are skipping out on here. Uh, it was just an unfortunate album selection for a band that has put out a ton of great work. And to be clear, I mean, when you say unfortunate album selection, you're making it sound like we selected it. Right. No, 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 no. Well, like, obviously, if we were p just picking what, the one we thought that was best in the middle, it probably would have been Out of the Blue or one of the other uh, right. earlier 70s records. But this one sold the best. This one sold really, the best. Really, anybody who yeah. bought this album, it's your fault. Right, but, and Don't Bring Me Down is an awesome song, and there was a reason why it was a hit and all that Don't stuff. Don't Bring Me Down is probably the best song on the album. Yeah, it's, and that's why it was a huge hit. It was, I think it was their highest charting uh, it's a song weak in, album, in, a, yeah, in American this history. Is, this is them. a weak yeah. album. I yeah, agree, uh, but, but like, you know it's, what? It's I, just... I was disappointed because I knew all those great songs, and I was like, okay, where's the ELO I know and love? And then I got disco track after disco track, and you know, I'll tell you, it grew on me as it went on. I think I liked the B-side a lot more. I think part of that might have just been me getting over uh, my disappointment at not hearing any of their great songs. Yeah, it's and just like, and just I don't want like accepting like, the things I do like about them, like the the harmonies that Jeff Lynne does, like the very classic tight ELO falsetto harmonies that sound so good the way he produces yeah. them, like those things. I just started appreciating the things that I liked uh, and tried to be less disappointed with all the things I was missing out on. Yeah, it's it's just, and it, and it's not bad. It's just the. The 70s and disco in general is such a kind of strange enigma when it comes to to talking about music sure. because so many genres of music have have come out and have kind of still existed and continued on and and went on even after they their their initial inception but I I think disco is like the only genre out there that like it came out in a decade. The decade was the 70s. And then as soon as we hit the 80s, we just walked away from it. Yeah. Like yeah. disco has really not been attempted again since the 70s. There's been some disco sounds. There's been some artists who have released a song with a disco yeah, I mean, track disco on it. Drum beats are not but, uncommon in, in my yeah, music. Or, but it, but, but just like the like, general, the rest of the style, I understand what you mean. Yeah, the style is just, is just gone. Nobody yeah. has really tried to, nobody since the 70s has put out a album that is just track to track disco hits. Sure. Yeah, yeah. of course. So let's just of jump course. ahead to 2019. <laughs> yeah. Uh, From Out of Nowhere comes in, in 2019. And right. it's the second record that is done under the moniker of Jeff Lynn's Yellow. Yeah. The reason for that being uh, after the album uh, Time, I want to say, was the one that Jeff Lynn was like particularly disappointed in how the concept turned out. And by 1983, Secret Messages, he was like, all right, we're wrapping things up. No more yellow. Yeah. Uh, so Bev Bevan went on and said, okay, 
I'm going to make my band ELO Part 2, and we're just going to keep touring and be an ELO Part 2. Uh, so there were definitely a lot of issues with naming rights and things like that going back and forth. Good old Biff. And then, you know, Jeff Lynn came back in and was eventually to differentiate ELO from ELO Part 2, which later became the orchestra. He started just making it very clear. This is the Jeff Lynn one. You know, the genius behind all the best music. That's me. Uh, it's the Jeff Lynn ELO. That's the one that you should be listening to. Yeah, it's actually listed. Um, I'm, again, I can't speak for Spotify, but Apple Music has it listed. The artist is Jeff Lynn's ELO. Right, exactly. Yeah, and I think they eventually, exactly. they, that's what they and just go by now. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Uh, and this album is exactly all the things you wanted to hear knowing yes. ELO. All the things that were great about all of ELO's music from the seventies. Two albums. Yeah, to unfortunately, get there. we didn't get it in their seventies records because, like I said, you know the selection we got. But from out of nowhere is all of the greatness from the very best of ELO, all put into a twenty nineteen album. I mean, Jeff Lynne. I don't know if you heard vocal degradation, but Not I sure all. didn't. I mean, Not he sounded great. Um, those classic, you know, falsetto harmonies that I was talking yep. about are, are in there throughout. Uh, again, very Beatlesque writing style is is pervasive in all these. Just everything that you really wanted, it just felt so uh, nostalgic in a great way for, you know, they finally found that sound that defined the band and made them great and made them unique in their time and brought it all back. And it worked on every song, I think. I mean, it was really well done from beginning to end. There was not a time when I was unhappy with the record. And Jeff Lynne did almost every single thing here. Yes, he was very he heavily did involved. Vocals, this guitars, process. bass, piano, drums, keyboards, cello, and vibraphone. Uh, Richard Tandy, who was the keyboards before, came back to play a piano solo on one song. Um, and a guy named Steve J did percussion. Yeah. But Jeff Lynne did pretty much everything on this record, and it's beautifully done. Fantastic. This is kind of like mind-boggling to me, hearing, hearing Nick just kind of wax poetic about them because they are... Jeff Lynn's ELO is described as the mastermind of 70s symphonic rock. Yeah, like symphonies. And I love classical and, music. And then they go on to say, this album in particular, the sounds of the lush but synthetic recalling the drum machines and synths of, of the band's 80s album Time and Balance of Power. Right, like, but Jeff Lynne actually this, plays real drums on this record. This does not sound like a, a, a band that, that no, Nick would it, be in such high praise of. Field for him. Right, but I mean, ELO is like an absolutely classic, classic <laughs> yeah. rock artist. I mean, So I will say a couple things. I mostly agree with you, 100%. Okay. Um, I think this is a lot of what you'd want to hear from ELO. Totally. I don't hear any vocal degradation at all. I'm still hearing really tight salad harmonies. I'm still hearing some inspired songwriting. All the good stuff. Some of the bad stuff. Not that there's a ton of it. The one place where I kind of felt age in this track or in this album was there were no tracks that really pushed the tempo. Okay. Everything felt a little more laid back than you would think from their earlier work. Okay. There was just slightly less push. And honestly, like that could very easily just be because they're older. I mean, yeah. and and if that's all you're hearing, I mean, that's that's very minuscule. Agreed. So it's definitely not a big problem. It's just like the one thing, oh, maybe these guys are a little older than you would expect them to be because nothing they're doing is really pushing or driving. It's all just a little easier, a little more laid back, still very inspired writing. Uh, but that's, that's it. I like that they mixed it up a little bit in here, though. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, definitely. 
there isn't just that like classical sound. They also have just like a straight up mid tempo rocker. Yeah, there's diversity. Um, here. they also have like this really nice like old school R and B like Earth Angel E song. So there's some nice mixing up, nice you know some good up and downs. Um, where it really got to me, where it really sounded typical, but not in a bad way, is the song Songbird. Okay. Uh, as we've said before on the podcast, I know I've said it many times. Older from the '70s bands when they release currently, they're they're always a lot more reflective. Yeah, and right. that song is like super reflective. Mm-hmm. So I was like, ah, there we go, we got there. You we have we one. finally did it. Uh, but all in all, again, uh, the first album was a solid B. The second album was probably like a C, maybe a C plus for I me. I think it was average though. You know, yeah, considering well, plus considering average. the genre that they did, they made it sound good. It's well produced. It's yeah. well played. Yeah, and then yeah. I think we're back up to like a, maybe like a solid B B plus for me here. Yeah, definitely at least a B plus. I would say. Yeah. So, I, you know, that's pretty much where I'm at, Tyler. If you don't have too much to add, we'll just go right into scoring them. Yeah. Um. I mean, I overall, I would say I enjoyed listening to them. Some of their stuff was yeah. um definitely more experimental than than I would say easy listening sure. or just rock in general, but none of it none of it was bad. That first album, yeah. like I was saying before, I probably wouldn't put that on a playlist. The second album was definitely more disco yeah. than than what I would have liked to hear, but listening all to all their stuff in between cuz I I obviously was was familiar with Mr. Blue Skies, so naturally that came with a bunch of additional tracks when you yeah. get the very best of album. Oh, yeah. So there was there Which was stuff is, in there to know yeah. how great they are. Tons. Sure. Well, let's uh okay. Let's score them. Yes. So, uh starting with cultural impact. I think ELO is going to do pretty decently here. Uh they're a rock and roll Hall decently, of Fame yeah. band. They've, you know, had a ton of hits. Yeah. Um and Jeff Lynne has been, you know, very prolific and and actively involved in music for the last 50 years. Um my honest guess would probably be like looking back at some of the other bands that we've done recently this season. ELO strikes me as probably like a solid flat seven. A solid seven. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Um I mean, I... you sell fifty million records is a lot. You can't lot you can't go very I mean No. It's hard to go wrong. lower than seven when you sell fifty million records. You're not wrong. Um and they're a well known name. I guess, yeah. I they are a well known name. I mean, I, I think it was just a particular blind spot for you guys, honestly, coming into this episode. Like Elvis Costello was for me, but then I, yeah. you know, I acknowledge that he's obviously or very like famous Tears and for made. Fears was for you, sure, right? And I still disagree. I mean, I, that yeah. was actually our biggest disagreement, I think, in the history of the podcast. I just want to let you know, just going back a little bit. Yeah, I've asked every single person I've seen in in the week between recording. Everybody picked Tears for Fears, except sure. for your mother. That and she is correct. Every single uh, that's one. fine. I mean, we had very different reasons for picking them. I think, if anything, it would be more that I oversold the Arctic Monkeys and Tears you for Fears did. should have been more of an average score. And they no, both ended up going with that. But regardless, that was last. That's week. fine. Yeah, uh, ELO's got to be higher than Tears for Fears, though. Yeah, I would. Uh, a seven down. works. A seven okay. definitely works. All right. So breadth of work. I've already hinted at the fact that they sold fifty million records. They have tons of golds and platinums uh, throughout the U.S. and U.K. Yeah, they've uh, their sold most well. recent album actually charted at number one in the U.K. Still, hey, which is a pretty big deal. They're charting in, in twenty nineteen. Uh, and the quality, I mean, we got a weird mix, we but their quality is did. 
generally very good. I really, I really think the fourteen only, records, by the way. The yeah. the only dip in their quality seems to really only have hit with with that more disco like sound. Yeah, which, I think it was they were which, experimenting with what happened at the time. Yeah, because at because at the time disco disco was popular. Yeah, and exactly. Nobody seems to know why because exactly. nobody wants to go back and do it right. again. Uh, so again, fourteen what num- records. What is, number are you thinking? Um. At a little more than double the average, I'm at really high sales mm-hmm. thresholds and good quality. So I'm probably right around where I was for cultural impact. Okay. Probably cl- close to that seven. Uh, I'd be willing to do seven. I think so. I mean, fifty million is a huge number. Yeah. Ton of multi, ton of platinum, multi platinums in America and around the world. Right. A seven fits for me. Totally. Uh, instrumental talent. I mean, Jeff Lynne is a genius. I think he is by far yes. like he. I mean, the band's got to be over over average. They're over average, but I don't want to oversell them here. The ability to play many instruments does is not why, a virtuoso make. which is why he ELO is very good in songwriting yes. uh, and probably above average, but just solid in instrument, instrumental. Yeah, I mean, so we agree on that. Good, yeah. I mean, especially on that first album, what I heard was a bunch of people who can play instruments and multi instruments playing them yeah but you know just because you can play you you're a great example of it you play a ton of instruments you play a lot of them very well but you're not gonna you do and (laughs) you know but you're not gonna sit there like for instance i'm i'm staring at the box for the dulcimer right you have a dulcimer i started playing in i did you're not gonna go to like a professional dulcimer player and compete no absolutely that's you're not you have a saxophone yeah, you're not going to go up to to a Absolutely professional not. saxophonist and compete. So, like, I feel like that's a lot. To of be what fair, I, I started here. learning both of those instruments within like the last month or two. That's, that's true. Fine. That's true. But I'm saying, like, <laughs> yeah, you, no, I get you're exactly passable what you on those mean. instruments, and I think they're passable on a lot of these instruments, which is yeah, why I mean, I'm, I'm in the five. To, yeah, I I'd be willing to go like above a five and a half, maybe closer to a six. Sure, probably like a five, five seven, maybe. Well, I mean, that's the opposite of the math you just said, because you said over five and a half, but closer to six. And then, you know. I said, well. I, so that implied a five eight. Then, but that's then okay. Then let's just give him a five nine. Okay. You got it. <laughs> uh, songwriting talent, I think they deserve to be above that on. I mean, they are very much like probably the foremost Baroque, uh, Baroque and roll band. The band yes, they in, are Barack Obama yes, in band uh, form. Yeah. No, but they, they definitely bring a lot to the table. Unfortunately. Like, they went disco. I mean, it wasn't the worst thing in the world when they went disco, but they've oh, tried yeah, no, a lot no, of no. different styles. Mm-hmm. They've tried a lot of different styles. They've brought orchestration yeah. to popular rock music in a way that not very many other bands were able to do. Sure. Um, so I, I'm not quite as high as I was on Don McLean or anything like that, no. uh, but I do think they re- deserve a respectable score, at least in the, like, six-and-a-half-ish range. Um. Hmm. Okay. Also, their harmonies are very well done throughout their, their harmonies are very well done. See, I don't know. I listen to some of this stuff, and I hear moments, and I hear potential. Sure. I hear stuff that definitely puts them above average. Definitely. But I, I, nothing that I heard, even on their big hits, I mean, Nick, you gave me a list of them to listen I to, and, and I did. And, and I, Fire I, on High, you didn't think that was masterful? I thought that one was okay. incredible. Fair enough, yeah. That but is saying, like a like, masterful Even if you go to like their most famous song, Mr. Blue Sky, like- which is a very good composition. It's a very good composition, but I mean, I'd be probably in the lower sixes. I will compromise with you at like a 6.4. I can deal with the 6.4, just a little bit under that 6.5 sure. range. Uh, poetic Talent, I think, is just very average. It's just very fine. It's Yeah, there's nothing here. There's uh, nothing. There's, there's nothing, nothing that incredible. took away from the songs to no. me at any time. No, uh, I mean, This is like not... the Steve Miller rule that we established yeah. in season one. Like, 
Nothing took away. Sometimes it was fun. Yeah. Uh, very average. Just a five. Exactly. And I will say, give them credit. They don't really rely a lot on like oohs and ahs and yes. True. Yeah. Which is, you know, they're filling it with words. Yes. So, yes, but they do often rely on yanni nani nas. That, that's mm. true. The big yanni nani na. Yeah. Uh, so like a five? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So for X Factor, I mentioned a few things where you I was did. trying to tell you guys about their success. Yes. So I have two uh, records, so to speak, that sure. Yellow Let's holds. See. One, in the United States, the Electric Light Orchestra has the most top 40 hits of any artist in U.S. history without having a number one. Okay. And from the years 1972 through 1986, okay. no artist had more top 40 hits in the U.K. and the U.S. combined than the Electric Light Orchestra. For four, that 14-year stretch. They were on top. Where tons of super famous bands yeah. were putting out tons of records. No one had more top 40 hits in the U.S. and U.K. combined. For basically the entirety of the 70s and the first half of the 80s than ELO did. Sure. Okay. Which is insane. So well, they were they were featured in a Marvel movie, so I'm comfortable what, giving them a ten. What number are you thinking here? I mean, for those, I'm not sure. I mean, I think it warrants a full point. You think a full point uh, th- for a 14 year stretch of where most yeah. of like the most famous rock and roll bands in history were I, playing and making hits? I they had the most. That's why I understand. But again, they didn't hit number one on any of them. True. I mean, they got in the top 10 on a bunch and all that other stuff, right. but they didn't hit number one. So, I mean, in, they, they didn't hit number one in the U.S., to be clear. They did hit number quantity, one in the U.K. yes. Quality, mostly. Yeah. Like, oh, maybe top like 40 a does. point seven. All right. I'll allow it. A little bit under that. I'll allow it. All right. Cool. Let's move on to four non-blondes. All right. So, four non-blondes. Uh, they are or were an American alternative rock band from San Francisco, California. Uh, they were active from 1989 to 1994, and we listened to their entire discography. Yeah. Because it's one album. It's Bigger, Better, Faster, More, which came out in 1992, the same year we did. That's right. For which, mm. which is ironic that it's called Bigger, Better, Faster, More, because they only ever released one album. Yeah. And as far as track lists go, it's... On the shorter side, yeah. I mean, hey, well, eleven songs is pretty average. They uh, now twelve is the average. Well, they're just under average then. Yeah. So, all right, Tyler, you haven't talked first about anyone, right? You haven't. So, so why don't you talk about this album first? So, something I have to get out of the way. On, I have absolutely no memory of this whatsoever. But apparently, when I was around the three four range. The song What's Up was yeah. my absolute favorite song. It's a great tune. That, it's mean, a classic. Makes sense. I have no memory of it. Uh, listening to it now, I wouldn't say that it's bad, um, but apparently the it was the only thing that I would let my I mean, mom and dad play. The He-Man the version is the version, though. I, oh, yeah. I'm unaware of any version Definitely. other than the original. Oh, we're going to show you the video. It's okay. a viral video. Yeah. Great. Um. Uh, and specifically, there was a version of the song, What's Up? I don't know if it was by Four Non Blondes or if it was covered by somebody else, but apparently they um, incorporated uh, clapping into it. Ooh. Um, and I'm going to embarrass myself here, but I, I'm going to say it, and you all okay. can just laugh and enjoy it. Um, f- two, th- two three-year-old me 
um, would always aggressively ask for my mom and dad to play the clap clap song, <laughs> and and that is amazing. That is Love it. so that so that's your whole review for the record. This was, I mean, <laughs> this was this your baby shark. More this, clap yeah. clap song, please. Yeah, carry this, right along. Yes, this this was this was my mom and dad's baby shark. That's fair. That's fair. Love it. Um, the, uh, to be to be clear, "What's Up" is a better song than "Baby Shark." Absolutely. So you you, you didn't do the. There's definitely there's definitely more going on musically. Yeah, you could say that. Sure. <laughs> All um, in three chords. There's more going on musically. Yeah. Um, outside of that, I I don't think they're a bad group, but I can yeah. see why only one album happened. So I mean, there's some very specific okay. reasons why only one album yeah. happened. Yeah. I mean. Uh, I'll talk Go ahead. for a Yeah, bit. get into that. So, obviously, What's Up is their one hit. Of course. They're a one-hit wonder band. Definitely. One and maybe like a, a quarter hit um, with Space Spaceman. Man. Kind of one. At least it's been in popular film and media. Okay. So it's been yeah. heard. The rest of them really haven't, uh, except for this album. Right. Now, it's interesting because they did only release the one album, then they broke up. And there was a couple reasons. So... Whenever a band only puts out one album that you, or or one or two or three like and then they have a breakup you always look into it. So I was Yeah, looking so into it turns it. out Eric Clapton was in this band. And yeah, nobody right, knew. There yeah. It is. Uh so looking into it, basically they were recording the second album and Linda Perry who is the lead singer? Uh, was was not didn't really like the first album. Didn't right. She liked some of it, but not all of it, and didn't really like the direction they were heading with the studio. And that combined with the fact that the rest of the band was very uncomfortable with how public Linda Perry was about her sexuality. Right. Kind of just shattered this band from the inside. Mm-hmm. Uh, from what I heard, there wasn't really too many hard feelings on it, but uh, the whole band. Uh, I believe it's public, is we're lesbians. Right, yeah. We're in the LGBT community. They were lesbians. Um, And then uh, Linda Perry was very out, very public about it. Um, She put uh, a term on her guitar and played it like very publicly. I don't want to bleep it. It's, I mean, look it up. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, The term, the the derogatory term for a lesbian is what she put on her guitar and uh, played like gigs with it. So the rest of the band was uncomfortable because they weren't really publicizing their sexualities. Uh, which I can understand. I mean, it sucks. It was that the that early happened. '90s. It was the early '90s. Yeah. It was not nearly as. If you think it's it's, it's yeah. like prejudice today, <laughs> back then to, and before then, yeah. it was so much worse. Oh yeah. Uh, which just sucks. I mean, whatever. I, sure. I, I, yeah. We we, get we into understand. It. We we all are on the the right side of history. With That's this. correct. Um, but it sucks that that was like one of the reasons that the band broke up. That s- coupled with the the pressures from the studio, right? The not liking the direction and stuff. So this band released this album, which has potential and some pitfalls, balancing out to a pretty decent album. Is is kind of the review that I'd give. Uh, I thought that obviously, what's up? Best song on the album. Yeah. You yeah. know, not just because it's their big hit. No, it, it's it genuinely the is. most well put together song. And it's funny, I have a funny story about that song. So this song coming directly from uh Krista Hillhouse herself told this story. That would be the bassist. Yes. So they were living together and they were writing songs and stuff. And Krista was on a date, a a successful date, if you catch my drift. Sure, sure. Uh, and right in the middle of the success of this date, she heard Linda Perry playing this song through the wall. 
and stopped everything <laughs> and went immediately on? and was like, what are you playing? Whatever you're playing is the thing. Like, you're playing the big one. Right. And, <laughs> and that's what happened. So that's how good What's Up is. Totally. It's uh, that poor that poor girl <laughs> who, yeah, uh, who just got walked out on because of the yeah. song. Like, oh, uh, all right, I guess I'll just leave then. Um, but uh, that was really that was one good thing. And then the other fun thing about the song "What's Up" the uh, the haze, which you know the song, you know the hey, hey, mm-hmm. was just filler. She just was gonna she was gonna write words there and, and just then, hadn't fit them yeah. in yet. And then uh, got to the studio and was like, and then like blah blah, blah and then did it. And everyone was like, oh no, that's what you do there. That, yeah. Yeah, it works. Fits. Uh, so just two little fun facts. Sure. Um, I'll talk about the uh, the pitfalls a little bit. The vocals are good in parts and weird in parts. She is a contralto, mm-hmm. uh, who also has a high belt. Yeah, it's a really interesting mix. She has a very deep voice. Yeah, right. Uh, and it works in a lot of ways. They write around it really well, but in some parts they don't, and it just sounds really off kilter. Um, it's an alt rock group, and they have a lot of alt rock sound. So if you picture that like alt rock sound with like the semi distorted guitar here and there in different spots, like that coupled with a really low voice doesn't really work. And then uh, even even at the time, I mean, alt rock male singers would get up there to to combat. Yeah. To combat that sound. Uh, and then the one song, which is the exact opposite of that, is the song Drifting, where there's a very reserved, acoustic-y sound, and then Linda Perry screaming over top of it. And I'm like, why? Or what? what is happening here? It was just a couple points where it didn't match the music. Yeah. Uh, but it really did work well in some parts. You know, Pleasantly Blue was a nice slower song where they mixed up the tempo and her voice fit it really well. Yeah, I agree. They pulled it back a little bit and she didn't go crazy. Um, the song Dear Mr. President was interesting, a little weird but interesting. Um, all in all, like I said, some positives, obviously What's Up, Spaceman, uh, Pleasantly Blue, some negatives, Drifting, uh, Superfly was just okay, um, Morphine and Chocolate was strange. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to jump in. Yeah, go uh, ahead. So Morphine and Chocolate is the only composition on this record by Shauna by Hall. Hall. Uh, so Shauna Hall was an additional musician as the guitarist, but then she went on to join the band, but then they shortly thereafter yeah. broke up anyway. But Shauna Hall, do you know what her current job is? Oh, no. Am I going to push a button? You are. Uh, Shauna Hall currently plays with George Clinton's Parliament Funkadelic. Hey. Yes, she does. Look Very at that. cool, right? Um. Good but, for her. Yeah, it's very cool. So I think I'm a little bit higher on this record than both of you guys were. I pretty much enjoyed it all the way through. Yeah, like, oh, I understand I, it wasn't always great. I enjoyed but it. But I, I really liked it. Um, What really stood out to me is while there was a lot of that, like, 90s alt-rock influence yeah. going on there, there was so much classic rock with a blues influence laid in with that and as well. Linda Perry, as a songwriter, grew from here. Like, you heard, again, you heard potential. You heard roots. Yeah. Totally. She has developed into a phenomenal songwriter. Sure. After this. I mean, she released some solo albums, but she's written for huge names. I mean, mm-hmm. she wrote Get the Party Started by for Pink. Oh, wow. She wrote that song. Beautiful by Christina Aguilera. She wrote that song. Uh, that's like that that song is in one of my favorite movies of all time. 
<laughs> but I was saying, like, you, you think of, like, huge hits for these, like, female pop stars at the time. Yeah. And Linda Perry's actually the reason. By that... Hoobastank? <laughs> she's actually that song. <laughs> she's the reason that Pink and Christina Aguilera had their, like, feud in the early 2000s. Were because of those two songs. Linda huh. Perry had been working with uh, Pink and, like, jump-starting the beginning of her career and working with her and then started working with Christina Aguilera and... Pink was so insulted by that that she was just like, she's like, why are you working with her? She's like the enemy. Fascinating. It's weird, right? Yeah. I would never have thought of them as competition. Nope. I didn't. It didn't <laughs> I would have thought um, Christina Aguilera and like Britney Spears were competition, yeah, not right. really Pink fitting in yeah, there. Yeah, she was slightly different. Um, yeah, I just would have never thought of them. Yeah, generally I don't. What do you um, mean? Pink's from like 10 minutes away from I us. I know she is, but that's fine. And our old voice teacher in college had a lesson with her before yeah. too. Um, but anyway, uh, I think we should just get on to grading here. Yeah, I think so. It's time. To, it's time to roll. Uh, so they're a one-hit wonder. I mean, you had alluded to wanting to give them possibly, maybe more, slightly more than one, like a one point one. I'm Nothing okay with crazy. That. One point for what's up. Point one for the combined. You know, Linda Perry's solo career and the Spaceman kind of doing well. Okay. Uh, Breath of Work. There is one, one album. album. So that's like I think we said it's about a point eight, give or take, that we yeah. start from for that. But uh, having but a it did very, well. very successful hit. Yeah, it was a very successful hit. I mean, the album sold, I think, a million and a half copies, uh, six million worldwide. Yeah, I mean, that's... So that's a pretty big bump for just one record. Yes, yeah, um, so you know, you're over platinum. And I think it's good. And then, plat- like, you know... Over platinum in the United States, six million worldwide. Yeah. That's significant. Um, and like I said, I, I maybe liked it a little bit more than you guys, but we all agreed that it was at least a solid record. Oh, it was very solid. Um... So I'm like closer to one and a half then. I would be Does yeah that... about one and a half myself. Okay, uh, instrumental talent. I thought there was some really nice lead guitar uh, mixed yeah, in with this some album. Good driving guitar. Yeah. Uh, I also really enjoyed a lot of the drum work. Yeah, I think I there was some that, uh, strong. Wanda Day did a good job with that. Yeah, strong rock musicianship. Yes. In here, you know, nothing that was gonna like blow your doors off like it, some kind yeah. of crazy prog album. But one album's worth. I would have said above average on that one album. I would have probably been in like the five range somewhere if this was a band that had many albums. Many albums, out. sure. Um, but I'm gonna be a little bit lower than that because they don't. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, the sample size, and obviously, you know, we're not gonna sit there and pick apart each of their solo careers and parse them no, together. Not yet. Not until That's their not solo careers do. become, um, you know, episodes. But. Uh, yeah, maybe like in the twos. Okay. Yeah, like that's. I mean, I'll give them two and a half. That works. I can do with two and a half. Uh, songwriting talent again. I mean, we're just we're running up against the same. They have you guys to score know the story. Than pavement. Uh, I agree with that, but so, <laughs> pavement songwriting got like some kind of insane. No, I just meant, I meant their total score. score. I mean, oh yeah, they will. I mean, pavement songwriting got an entire one. I think we can probably boost them up above uh, one. Yeah, they'll be above a one. But probably not all that much. No, I, I mean, mean they're in between a one and a two, I think, because yeah. the songwriting it's it's they're typical good songs, rock. but they're right. If anything, I would say they did take like what was going on with the '90s and what was going yeah. on in classic rock and kind of blend them a lot I, more than other alternative I rock bands of the that, '90s did. Yeah, um, I think that it's very clear to me that for the most part, Linda Perry is a good songwriter. I agree even on this album, uh, with the exception of. Drifting. Sure. Where where do you want to <laughs> be? Which probably at? would be better if she had a better vocal on it. I mean, it's only one album, so I still feel like we're in the ones. Yeah, but maybe like closer to like a one seven. I love it. Uh poetic talent. 
So even even their biggest song isn't yeah. necessarily a I mean poetic masterpiece. It does have a message. It has a, a meaning, message, especially a that resonates to people like us in our twenties. Right. Have, <laughs> but but again, there's the one album, yeah. so eleven songs. Yep. I mean, probably closer to that, like in the one range again here. Like, yeah, but maybe they're just give like a one six this time. Sure. Uh, is there an X factor here that I was unaware of? Uh, I mean, I would be willing to give them a slight X factor. Uh, I believe this is the first ever like band entirely composed of out LGBT members. That's uh, you might be especially like early nineties. That they're definitely the only alt rock band that has that. That's pretty good right. representation, and they. I know that's part uh, of the that reason you said they broke we are up. doing the Village People later on this season. <laughs> but uh, I, I mean, I know that's why you know they, part of why they broke up because they weren't necessarily all comfortable with it at the time. But I mean, the surviving members of the band, unfortunately, Wanda Day passed away mm-hmm. in '97. But the surviving members of the band have like reunited a couple times to perform at LGBT functions. Okay, and, do you want to give them like active. a like a literal point one for that or something? Maybe a point two. I think it's a big mo. I think it's a big thing. I think not a lot of people were doing stuff like that. In the nineties. Okay. I'm fine with it. I'm not gonna yeah, that's that's not worth uh arguing yeah. over, I think, because we've got final scores. We do. And uh coming in last place today, uh to everyone's shock <laughs> is yeah. four non blondes. Yeah. Uh with an eight point six. Oh wait, hold they on. They did beat pavement by point six. Oh, pavement has a flat eight. <sighs> Don't worry. I don't got worry. really scared. I really <laughs> just the rest it doesn't matter. Like season thirty-five, some band that no one's heard of that's released one single. It's like, how do we make this better than Pavement, guys? I was terrified for a second there. Yeah, no. Um, they had an eight point six, and our winner today in an extraordinarily tough episode, decided by less than half a point, <laughs> is the Electric Light Orchestra with oh. a thirty-two. Wow. A 32 to Don McLean's 31.6. Oh, wow. Yeah. That is seriously, that's a very tight race. Very Both tight race. great scores. Once you're in oh, the yeah. 30s, you're top totally. notch. Yeah, we wow. don't give away points all that easily. We do not. We are a stingy bunch. All right. Well. Okay. Uh, <laughs> that was a lot of fun. Yeah, it um, was. It was. I'll, I'll tell you, it was not a lot of fun. Like multiple times through this, my computer just was pooping totally. in bed. Yeah. Uh, which was a great moment for me personally. Right, but which is a reminder to go listen to our Low Totem songs. You should listen to Low Totem. Find us on Spotify <laughs> yes. or Apple Music on, or on anything that computer. you listen to, yeah. YouTube, anything. Yes, We're there. we are a band. We release music, and I like that music that we release. Right, there's also another band called Low Totem, and they it's are British. Not us. Don't it's listen not to us. that one. Just listen to us. Or listen yeah. to them. No, I've but listened to that one. Don't listen to they, them. They've, they've got some points. <laughs> Anyway. Well, we'll do them on the show one day. Against yeah. us, maybe. Low yeah, totem there versus we go. Low, low totem. totem versus low totem. We'll need to find a third low totem. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, I'll just break off and do a side project that's low totem oh, and perfect. make one Nick one McLaughlin's album. low totem? Yeah, yeah exactly. Perfect. Uh, okay. So hopefully you guys are having fun. Uh, like Nick said, check out our actual music. Uh, please, uh, you know, if you guys like this podcast and, and want us to keep going, tell us. And more importantly, tell your friends. Yes. Um, we are really trying to grow and, you know, reach a wider audience of people that may be interested in this kind of stuff. And the the best way that we could find people that like this stuff is is by our people that like this stuff that listen to this stuff telling other people that like mm-hmm. this stuff. And if you're like the Lemonheads and you hate your friends uh, and they don't <laughs> like music, then you can also still recommend our podcast. Yes, one. that's true. That's true. But um, that's really all I've got. Um, we had a blast doing this. We love well, coming to you guys. Yeah. Every week, we'll have a blast next week when we do Fleetwood Mac. 
Oh my oh, gosh! Dropping a big one. Yeah, that wow. is Nick. Like Nick and I were talking about this a little bit, where I was like, "You really top loaded season two. Yeah, season really, two. Season is, two is a season two is season. a strong season. So you guys like hang in there. We're getting yeah. all sorts of cool artists this year. Um, but yeah, anyway, that's gonna wrap us up. Uh, go be safe. Love your friends. Don't hate your friends. Don't lemon heads it. Tell them about Totem Talks. Tell them that you love them and have a great day. Mm-hmm.